0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Brussels sprouts. I'm Andrea Kendall-Taylor.
1: And I'm Jim Townsend.
0: We're so glad you can join us. On today's episode, we are returning to a subject that's been a point of debate in the Transatlantic Alliance for years. We're talking about Nord Stream 2. Uh, The pipeline is about 95% complete, but it still, uh, it faces opposition from the Biden administration, as well as European critics. Uh, The critics argue that Europe's reliance on Russian energy supplies creates vulnerabilities for Europe and its allies, especially Ukraine. Um, However, Nord Stream 2 supporters argue that the project is primarily a commercial endeavor. Um, But in any event, the prolonged disagreement is really raising questions about possible U.S. sanctions on European companies for supporting the pipeline, Just when the Biden administration is working to repair transatlantic relations, given the need for a stronger and more cohesive group of allies to address challenges like China, climate change. So it's a thorny issue. And to talk about it, we're really excited to welcome two fantastic guests, both returning to Brussels sprouts. Both have been on before. Um, Welcome to both Steve and Dan. Welcome both.
2: Happy to be here again.
0: All right, so just brief introductions. Um, Dan Freed is a distinguished fellow at the Atlantic Council. He's also on the board of directors at the National Endowment for Democracy and a visiting professor at Warsaw University. He had a 40-year career in foreign service where he played a key role in designing and implementing American foreign policy in Europe after the fall of the Soviet Union. And Steve is currently a fellow at the Robert Bosch Academy in Berlin, and he's also a non-resident senior fellow with the Brookings Institution. And he also previously served at the State Department as a Foreign Service Officer with more than 25 years of experience at state, uh, including as ambassador to Ukraine um, and a number of other distinguished posts, uh, both at State Department and at the NSC. So, again, welcome to you both. And just, it's a big topic, um, and so maybe what I thought we would do is that what we like to do, give some kind of context to where we are, and then we'll, we'll narrow in and talk about where we need to go. And so, m- just to start with both of you to give us that snapshot, Dan, maybe we can start with you and have you talk a little bit about where we are on this side of the Atlantic both what you think the Biden administration's thinking is on this issue and also uh, where the U.S. Congress is. And then Steve, given your kind of seat in Berlin, I don't know if you can tell us a little bit about what the discourse and dialogue looks like in Berlin and maybe what you're picking up from some of the other European allies. So Dan, over to you.
3: Um, The Biden administration starts with the presumption Starts with the conclusion that Nord Stream 2 is a bad idea, which it is. The problem isn't just importing Russian gas. The problem is that Nord Stream 2, by providing a direct connection between Russia and Germany, divides Europe into preferred customers, Germany, and vulnerable customers, Poland, the Baltic states, and Ukraine. It is it therefore is a potential divisive weapon in Putin's hands to weaken EU solidarity and to hurt Ukraine. It is not just a commercial project. That's a risible argument, but don't take my word for it. Listen to the president of Germany, President Steinmeier, who said it actually is a strategic project because Germany attacked Russia in in World War II. That argument, raised the ire of the Ukrainians and the Poles who also felt attacked. It's a it's a foolish argument. The Biden administration starts there. But the Biden administration is also aware that killing Nord Stream 2 with sanctions is very expensive. A lot of Germans who don't like Nord Stream 2 hate the idea of being pushed around by the U.S. And Trump and some of the Members of Congress have behaved in a bullying and hectoring fashion. So, what do they do? Steve, Jim, and I all worked in government for many years. And we know that as an instinct, all American administrations look in situations like this for door number three. (laughs) What is door number three? Well, the fact is that Poland and Ukraine are far less, and Europe as a whole, is far less vulnerable to Putin's energy leverage and gas leverage than they were 15 years ago. Like a lot less vulnerable. They're not where they need to be. They're still vulnerable. But the vulnerabilities that Nord Stream 2 could exploit can be mitigated. Now, I wish the project would go away. And the Hill hates it. Dems and Republicans. And it's not just the Americans. It's Steve will talk about this. He knows a lot more. But, you know, the Greens are against it, too. It is possible to mitigate the downside risks to a significant, maybe crucial degree. And the Biden people, I think, would be willing to listen to the Germans if they were interested in fixing it. But I'm not sure the Germans are. And facing their elections, they may be frozen. So it's kind of a yuck issue. The Biden administration wants to do the right thing, but how do you avoid the downside risks of Nord Stream two? And no, without when the Germans may not be ready to work out a solution. So basically, the the Poles and the Ukrainians are essentially right about Nord Stream 2. But as an American, I'll end with this. I know all about governments making mistakes. I didn't serve eight years in the George W. Bush administration for nothing. (laughs) When you make a mistake, you need your allies to help you out. The German government made a mistake with Nord Stream 2. But they're not the problem. Putin is the problem. So we need to work together to find a way out of this. All right, that's a lot. Sorry to go on. Oh, um, and one correction. You know, you can say that I helped design. It wasn't just me, you know, Steve Piper, Sandy Birschbau, and I and the Clinton NSC worked together on the NATO enlargement and NATO Russia strategy. It was it was an integrated strategy, and it was, and we didn't do a thing without Steve Piper, who is the senior director for Russia, former Soviet Union. And we worked at this together. I'm very happy to say I've still got good memories of that collaboration.
2: And, and I still got the picture of the three of us with Sandy Berger, <laughs> we're celebrating that now. They, 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 that was th- those were those were good times. Um, I think we created some opportunities for Moscow. Unfortunately, the Russians chose not to take those opportunities. But let me say first of all, I, I, I agree with Dan. This is not a commercial project. Uh, it's it's a geopolitical project. It's basically de- designed to develop routes that Russia can move natural gas to Europe around Ukraine. Uh, and, and there are various reasons the Russians want to do that. One, they don't have to then pay the Ukrainians transit fees, which run one to one and a half billion dollars a year now. It, it also imposes cost on the Ukrainians, because although the Ukrainians no longer buy gas directly from Russia, the gas in the Ukrainian system actually make some things easier for them to do with regards to domestic gas sales. But let me talk for a little bit about what I'm hearing in, in Germany. First of all, from the government's point of view, as expressed by both Chancellor Merkel, but also uh, the German foreign minister, uh, they disagree with me, they disagree with Dan, they say this is indeed a commercial project. Um, there are a couple of though, I think, points they raise that um, bear, bear some listening to on our part. You know, First of all, You know, they acknowledge that the United States has opposed Nord Stream 2 going back to the Obama administration. But they also point out that the really big heavy guns came in, the threat of sanctions, including against German and European companies, really only came into play about a year and a half ago, at which point Nord Stream 2 was 95% complete. So I've heard from Germans in the chancery, in the foreign ministry, and in the uh, president's office, they say, if we stop this now, if we yank the licenses... Do we have a situation then where we, Germany, become liable for part or all of the 10 billion euros that have been invested in this pipeline? So that's the first concern. The second concern uh, Dan touched upon is you know, it's awkward politically. Is The governing co- coalition here is the uh, Christian Democrats and, the, and their Christian socialist partners and the Social Democratic Party. Uh, they all most of them support it. There's some division within the CDU about this, but they support it. And that support really became fixed during the Trump years. Uh, it was in, in part because Mr. President Trump was so you know, obnoxious to Germany in different ways that that support for the pipeline, I think, hardened as a way to push back. And now, when you're looking, you know, four months out from a German election, it is very awkward politically for those parties to say, "Oh, we made a mistake and climb down." Now, having said that, my, my, my sense now is that there's not a huge amount of enthusiasm for continuing this project. I think if people could go back in time six or seven years, you know, they might have decided not to conclude it. Um, but I think they are on a course to finish it, I, I, and there's actually an incentive for the government to try to finish the pipeline before September. Because you can see a couple of different combinations for what the new ruling coalition in Germany is going to look like. The one certainty is the Greens party will be part of it. Uh, They may be the second party, the junior uh, partner in a coalition, or they may actually be leading a three-party coalition. And the Greens are the party that are most adamantly opposed to Nord Stream 2, both on concerns about Russia, but also on environmental grounds. And so I think the current government has not incentive to get it finished, because if it's not finished, at a minimum, it becomes a huge bargaining issue uh, in the coalition negotiation to come. Uh, now, I agree with Dan, the way out of this is to find door number three. And, and it's I would argue that the way it is, it, it would be something that helps Ukraine, because the biggest loser in this, when Nord Stream 2 goes into operation, and the current Gazprom contract with um uh, with the Ukraine expires in 2024 are the Ukrainians. Uh, it would be good for both sides to so, show sensitivity to the other's domestic political concerns between Washington and Berlin. I think Washington needs to understand that it's just very awkward politically for the government now to reverse itself and perhaps expose it to billions of euros in, in, in damage claims. And the Germans here have to understand that it's politically difficult for the Biden administration not to go forward with sanctions when there is such bilateral, uh, bipartisan pressure coming from Congress. And so an idea I've tried to suggest here is, can you do something for Ukraine? You know, Perhaps work out a deal with the, between the Germans and Gazprom where they extend that contract so that gas flows um, for a longer period through Ukraine. Something that would allow the Biden administration to go to Congress and say, we're not going to apply sanctions but we've got this thing that's a benefit to Ukraine. And that would be the justification for waiving sanctions. And it would avoid Berlin and Washington, you know, getting into a fight over an issue, which I think could set back both sides other objective, which is to restore and revive the U.S.-German relationship in the aftermath of four very difficult years under President Trump.
3: I think Ukraine needs to be taken care of, but not just Ukraine. Um, the Poles and the Baltic. Baltic also have vulnerabilities because of Nord Stream 2. And if you don't think Putin would squeeze them if he could, you haven't been paying attention. But but Steve is right. I mean, the way he framed it up seems to me smart politically. Now, there are some Germans I've talked to who talk about a moratorium. Freeze sanctions, freeze construction. I like that as a way to buy time. But Steve may be right. That may not be politically doable for the government. I can't tell. And he's in Berlin. I'm not. I like the idea, but if you're going to construct a package of measures that substantially mitigates the downside risks of Nord Stream 2, well, you know the Poles and a lot of the Central Europeans are already working on building up energy infrastructure through their Three C's initiative. Germany has attended Three C's summits at, the, at very senior levels, the United States, that, who's not a member of three C's, has put in a chunk of change, some real money. The, the Trump people liked it, but so do the Biden people. I mean, it survived U.S. support of two administrations, which really shows it's got some standing. So if I were Germany and cons- trying to construct a package which would at least capture the Americans' interests, it can't just be a cheap deal for the Americans, you know, importing US LNG. That's a cynical view. That's not the basis of US opposition. You take Steve's ideas, you know, he knows the Ukrainians. He's right about all that stuff. You put together something that would be of interest to the Poles, and it can't just be a US German deal. You got to quietly talk to all the stakeholders. Now, I realize that sounds like a terribly naive statement, you know. I'm, trying to do it right like a diplomat, bring everybody together. But you know that's why that's why there are you, you, in, in the old days, Steve or I would have gotten on a plane, flown to Kiev, Warsaw, Berlin, Brussels quietly and started talking to people. That's what the Americans used to do, you know. I don't like I hate To always have. but the job is not to indulge my hatreds. You know, I wanted to do that. I'd go, you know, I wouldn't have worked in the executive branch for all those years. You you, work, you see how you can address everybody's real concerns. And the Germans are going to have to put something on the table. They don't have to call it concessions to the Americans. And boy, is Steve right about the Trump administration bullying. Oh, man. Like, they made it much harder. But you, you put together something and you call it a European solution. You know, whatever works in Germany, a European solution. And you know, the the EU Commission doesn't like Nord Stream 2 any more than we do. You know, they just have to be quiet about it. But if Germany hints that this is the way they want to go, let them do it. But I tell you, if they don't make an offer, then the Biden people under all this pressure may just go the sanctions route with the argument hey, man, we tried. Sorry to jump in, but Steve inspired me because he was moving.
1: Right in the direction. I, I think that's come. exactly right in terms of craft, in terms of the u s. trying to help a friend out of the corner uh, into which they've painted themselves. Uh, and so what I was thinking along those lines in terms of how do you operationalize that, um, I think you can do a package. I think you can do one that that really puts it on Germany to be responsible for the mitigation. Um, They're going to have to do something for Ukraine. They're going to have to do something for the Poles and the Balts. They're going to have to do something with helping them become more energy um, um, independent. Uh, They've got to clean up the uh, negative ramifications of this. And they need to do it in a public way. And I was thinking, uh, where could you do it? If the summit that we're going to have on June 14th, too bad, it's a little early. But I think if we could do it at a summit where you would have before the election uh which which adds an incredible complication and 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 particularly if the greens come in then i'm not sure how they would deal with it but but right now if we had some time and uh you could almost have an appearance by the american president and merkel and they both make an appearance at, at on the margins of a summit and they lay down a package with the german chancellor saying we have listened to the Americans and others in, in Europe. We, under, we 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 acknowledge that there's issues that have come with this. Um, this has been a long time in coming. Uh, it is, it's almost finished now. Um, we're going to go ahead and finish it, but this is what we're going to do to mitigate some of the problems. And they lay out this package. And then the Americans come on and say, we appreciate you acknowledging this. This is something that's concerned all of us. Uh, in return, blah blah blah. So you could have it. Um, you could have a joint appearance like that, based on the going from capital to capital. Dan, just what you said, and compiling this package where um, we we can make peace on this issue, and the U.S. can be seen as helping the Germans out of this, and not having Merkel up there making these announcements and everybody's throwing tomatoes at her. But we do it together. Uh, and we say, this is this is, this is is how we're going to deal with this, and then we're going to move on.
2: No, this is exactly right. I mean, this this is one of those problems that you look at, and I think Dan would agree, and you say, this cries out for a little bit of clever diplomacy in Washington and Berlin, and if you got that, you could solve it. And it would also, I think, help Berlin with the rest of Europe on this question. I mean, as Dan said, I mean, the, the Poles and the Vols are worried about this. You know, it's driven some some big differences within the European Union, um, the, the French kind of seem to be you know, for or against this project, depending on when you ask them. Uh, but but the European, I mean, the European Parliament in February came out with this overwhelming vote to stop it. And then the commission came out and basically said, we don't need this pipeline. And that's right. I mean, one of the things that gets lost is, you know, if Nord Stream 2 is completed, the Russians probably have 30, 40, 50 percent more capacity to move gas from Russia into Europe than they need, at a time when most projections say that gas demand in Europe is going to be flat until 2030, and then it's going to decline. Right. Um, and 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 they, and, they, and and so the commission says we don't need this. The, the commission though says we don't have the authority to stop it. It's got to be a German government decision. So I, I I think on this particular issue, if the Germans were to look for a solution, they could actually patch up a lot of uh, issues with a lot of other uh, players who don't think that Nord Stream 2 is a good idea.
3: So I was thinking about this, sort of putting myself, Steve and Jim, in in kind of our old roles, right? right? How would we work on this if we were at NSC? Yep. It can't remember. Remember the Congress. They hate Nord Stream 2. The Republicans would love to attack Biden for being soft on Russia for anything except trying to destroy it. If you're Biden, if you're the Biden team, you know that in advance. So what do you need to to head that off? You need the Ukrainians and the Poles not to like Nord Stream 2 because they never will and they shouldn't. You need the Poles and Ukrainians to be given an offer that's sufficiently good that they'll be able to say, we hate Nord Stream 2, we will always hate Nord Stream 2, but we acknowledge that because of what the Americans and Germans are prepared to do, it's a lot less risky for us. Right, something like that. And you got to listen to them. Can right. we just stipulate, please, that the Germans should never tell the Poles and Ukrainians to calm down about the Russians? Like, <laughs> like as a general rule. And what drives the? I, I'm not. I, I spent a lot. I didn't spend all these those years in Poland for nothing. What drives the Poles? Nuts about this is not just the substance, though it is that, but it's also being patronized by the Germans, treated as if they're too, as if they don't get it. The Poles understand perfectly well what this project is about, and they're right. So, you know, go to them and say, yeah, you're right. It's, we screwed up. You know, some language to that effect. Here's the plan to make you guys less vulnerable to Putin's pressure because we know he's a bad guy. You know that that's the kind of thing that Steve Piper used to excel at when he was in, in the European Bureau. As you know, did running the running the, 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 the Russia relationship in happier days.
0: If I could just really interject one second, because I think the thing, you know, I I agree that the Biden administration doesn't want to be in the business of sanctioning allies, and they are looking to all of these options. And I do think that they would prefer to take door number three and find this kind of negotiated settlement. But from what I gather, they are really just to go back to this fact that you have both acknowledged. But if we just focus on it for a second, they are really under tremendous pressure from Congress to sanction allies. And we had the announcement earlier that the, that, you know, the, the Congress came out or and, and the State Department came out to say that they are committed to fully implementing sanctions authorities under the Protecting Europe's Energy Security Act, under the PISA Act. So can I ask what, how realistic you think it is that Congress would be placated by some kind of negotiated settlement? Is there something that would be enough that would get Congress to say, okay, and to kind of, for them to walk down and back away from what seems to be really like a a full court press on the sanctions front?
3: Okay, so I'm going to get all wonky on you. This is what I learned as being the sanctions Warning. And that's what Brussels
0: sprouts is about. It is the, the okay. wonky transatlantic contract.
3: Okay, I'm going full wonks, fair warning. So first thing you need is the political basis to do it. And we were all talking about the Ukrainians and the Poles and the Baltics and getting them on board. But secondly, if you take a very close look at last year's PISA legislation, the stuff that was signed in, into law like January 1st, <laughs> 1st or something, it's got some very interesting language that, that people didn't notice. First, it it allows for a waiver of sanctions, but instead of the usual standard of national security, which is a higher bar to meet, it lowered the bar to national interest. Why do that unless you're prepared, at least in principle, to consider a solution? Secondly, it mandates consultations with the Europeans before you impose sanctions. The two of those must be read as Congress saying, we hate Nord Stream 2. We want to sanction it, but if you and the administration can figure out something, some way around this, we're prepared to listen. That's not a green light for a bad deal. It's a it's a flashing yellow. It's the indication that it's possible. At least that's what I you know if I were driving up in the car to Capitol Hill to make the pitch testimony that you'd be sure that that's exactly the case I'd be making. You know me and Steve. Pfeiffer or or, or you, Andrea, you know, as we were prepared to get hit. That's the case. It's possible. But it all depends on a deal that is good and so good that somebody, you know, the, the polls would look at it and say, you know, this is this is not empty. And then they would then they would denounce Nord Stream 2 for the next half an hour and be right about. it. See
2: what I'm saying. And I think another part of it too would be to point out the downside that it, that if we do go for sanctions, because I've had a, quite a few conversations with Germans across the political spectrum. And what I've been struck by is, you know, whenever the subjects come up with Germans who oppose two, including the Greens party, they say, but at the end of the day, you can't start sanctioning German and European companies. That will be a huge rift between Berlin, and Washington, and also it may pull the Europeans together behind the Germans because the the Europeans do not like the extraterritorial application of American sanctions on European companies. And if we really mismanage this well, which, you know, it it could be done, I, I wonder, could we bollocks this up so badly that we actually then end up undermining what's been a really good record, and Dan deserves a lot of credit for this back in 2014, of us Russian-European cooperation and coordination on sanctions on Russia, which have held for seven years, which I wouldn't have predicted seven years ago, and I'm not sure Dan would have predicted. But if we get into a big sanctions fight with the Germans over Nord Stream 2, do we then erode the base for that kind of competition, bearing in mind that when you look at the European Union sanctions on Russia, the Germans have really played a key role in, in getting those sanctions in place and then holding them together. So the, the, uh, so Dan can paint the positive side and I can say, and if we go down this other right, here's some potential costs. And if we really manage it, Nord Stream 2 could be finished despite our sanctions. We could have a big fight with the Germans, a big fight with the European Union and the sanction regime against Russia for Crimea and Donbass falling apart. That is not beyond our ability.
3: <laughs> Spot on, exactly right. We're in a kind of prisoner's dilemma situation. Yeah. If we in the Germans push for our maximum objective, we're likely to end up, we, we could end up worse off. If we take the lesser, we may end up net, net better off. Like, exactly. I'm not, I'm not a practitioner of realism as grand strategy. I, I hate it, but I sure as hell I'm a practitioner of small Our realism as tactics. Like take your half a loaf, man, take your slice. And move on from there. Don't get greedy. Don't get greedy. You know, save that for political campaigns or, dare I say, you know, think tanks with certain a certain kind of attitude.
0: I, I agree. With, I agree with everything you say. With, you know. I know that's where a lot of folks in the Biden administration are. I just keep hearing from a lot of those folks how intense the pressure is coming from Congress. And that's just going to be, I mean, it really is kind of the wild card. So there is such a desire for Congress to be tough on Russia. And that that brings up one other thing I want to know. I want to get your reactions to, you know, Wolfgang Ischinger's piece in Foreign Affairs talks about how Germany could possibly use the Nord Stream pipeline as leverage with Russia. And if the Germans could really clearly communicate, this is his argument, if the Germans could really clearly communicate to Moscow how the political atmosphere has changed in ways that are making it almost untenable for them to be able to complete the pipeline and put some conditions on the table that Russia would have to meet in order for Germany to move forward with the completion of the pipeline. Do you think there is a there there? Do you think that there is a way for Germany now to take this as leverage? You know, some of the things Wolfgang talked about is, you know, linking Russian behavior. So could they require Russia to halt some of their hacking, halt some of the disinformation, release Navalny? Uh, There would be a number of things that they would could require Moscow to do. Um, and he talks about, you know, building in breaks such that if the behavior continues, continues there would be ways to, you know, have, a, have it in the agreement that the, the flow of gas could could be stopped. So, and, you know, a lot of this, we've spent a lot of time talking about kind of shoring up the strength of allies, enhancing energy security. But is there anything that we need to do to kind of shift some of this back onto Russia, which is, you know, a, a really a key, a key piece of this?
2: Yeah. No, I, I, it's interesting because I, I think that those may be part of the solution, but I, I don't think that they're sufficient. Um, I mean, it, it depends on you know what what you can get the Russians to do in return for completion of Nord Stream two. If the Russians, if the Germans want to draw that link, and again, I think as we've discussed already, you know, that's got to be. I mean, Navalny may be in a separate box. I mean, but it, but it's got to have some element of some kind of benefit for. Ukraine, the Baltic states, and Poland. The second idea about building these breaks, um, I like it on one sense, but I'm not sure at the end if it works with the kind of pressure that the administration is facing. And, And that's because unless you articulate every specific, if the Russians do this, then we do this. If you don't do that, I think there's always going to be concern. Well, at the end of the day, if we agree, yes, we're going to turn Nord Stream 2 off, if the Russians commit some egregious act of misbehavior, are we setting ourselves up for a fight three years down the road as to what definition of egregious activist misbehavior is? Uh, so I, I would rather actually secure something that, again, it would be some kind of a payoff you know, that, that, again, that I think that would be, I think, easier for the Biden administration to use with Congress as justification for waiving for any sanctions on uh, German or European companies. Yeah, there's one of the complications here, which I'm not smart enough to figure out, but the, the uh, German state uh, where the pipeline is coming, uh, coming ashore, <clears throat> they're actually building up a, a mechanism. They, they've created this uh, foundation. And their intent is that it, the foundation would basically be the contracting agent for European and German companies dealing with Nord Stream. So the foundation would be sanctioned. And it may be a semi-state agency, in which case they say, well, you can't sanction a government entity. Uh, so th- there there's some thoughts here being given to creating some systems that I think would uh, make things complicated for us. And it would be good to try to avoid that. <laughs>
0: One other question that, sorry, Jim, that um, that you hear, too, is, you know, if we just wait until, if it is actually the Greens that win the election, I mean, it, it can the Biden administration be in a wait and see mode? And I guess, you know, Steve, do you actually think that if the Greens get the chancellor um, that, that they would kill the pipeline, or is that just really not domestically viable, given kind of support from business groups and other things?
2: I, I think that there's a good chance that the Greens, um, if they get to the Chancery, uh, I think they would kill it or do everything they could to kill it. But remember, they see whether the Greens come in first or if they come in second, and 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 pretty much every scenario says either they're the junior partner to the CDU and the CSU, the the, the Christian Democrat bloc, or they're 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 the uh, largest party in a three-way combination with the uh, Free Democrats and the Social Democrats. Um, there's going to be a bargain. Uh, And and the question is, uh, if somebody really wants Nord Stream 2 to be completed, and it hasn't been completed by the time this new coalition comes into power, uh, I think they're going to have to pay the Greens a lot to get the Greens to back off of this. And it, it may be one of the things that, in fact, the Greens say, no, this is an absolute for us.
0: Then, then is it in the Biden administration's time or interest just to wait, though? Like, I mean, really, in September, could this become moot?
2: I the danger to waiting is that, you know, the pipeline only has like 4% to be completed. The Russians now have, as I understand it, I mean, the, the pipeline actually, I mean, Nord Stream 2, it's actually two parallel pipelines. Um, and then the, the two pipelines have a combined capacity of about 55 billion cubic meters of gas per year once completed. Well, they've got uh, the Fortuna and the academic Chersky, two Russian, so they're laying both those lines. And if the Biden administration just sits back, my my guess is the pipelines will be finished. And and the Russians have said they intend to finish the pipelines this summer. So I think something has to happen to stop that. We're not going to get to the situation where by itself, the pipelines don't get completed and then we have the Greens uh, handling the issue.
0: Dan, you can weigh in too, but then could you be in a situation where it's completed but not operational? I guess that's the other thing you hear people kind of banding about.
3: Hard. I'm not an expert, but experts have told me that that is hard technically. An empty pipeline is a problem. The trouble with all the scenarios of waiting is that it allows Putin, it gives Putin an extra incentive to spoil them. And the congress is not going to let the biden administration tread water on this The germans if they want a respite it seems to me they need to put something on the table it doesn't have to be public and maybe something's going on but they can't simply tell the biden administration <laughs> tell the biden administration to don't take a go take a hike because they can't do it politically and the biden administration <laughs> doesn't have to ask the Germans to surrender. It's that, that's the point we've been making this whole discussion. Everybody gets something out of this, but everybody has to get something out of it. Right. Not just the U.S. and the Germans. The, the Poles, the Balts, the Ukrainians have to get something out of it. Oh, and by the way, of course Steve's right, right about the problem with Um, Wolfgang Ischinger's argument. The good thing about it is that he's not defending Nord Stream 2. He's recognizing that it's a problem. That's big. That's huge for somebody like Wolfgang Ischinger who's so plugged into German thinking. That's a big deal. And we ought to applaud it. The objections I have are not not strategic because strategically he's in the right place. The objections are operational. Let's say the Russians do something egregious and the Americans say, well, now you have to cut it off. People in Germany are going to say, well, you can't cut it off. That'll make, only make things worse. Can't you just hear that? Now, Wolfgang is right that we need to think of a way forward together. But it's got to be before it's completed. Suspend, <laughs> Construction and then start discussing it. So that the Germans aren't going to be aren't going to allow the Russians to put them in this position. Don't lose control over the steering wheel. And don't give it to Vladimir Putin. Do it yourself. And the Americans have to put something on the table too. They have to, sus- to suspend sanctions. Right. You know, we, we can't let the Germans do all this by themselves. This is the kind of thing that hope, hopefully is being talked about, but you know, awkward, leaks, scandal. It's a tough one,
0: That's what I operationally
3: wanted to, ask, to do
0: it. Yeah, Steve, to what extent do you think that this is being talked about in Germany? I mean, I, I do think that they've heard loud and clear from Washington that it would be to their advantage to put together something kind of proactive and put a package on the table, but to what extent do you think that they're, they've are they actually received that message and are thinking about it and working working it?
2: No, I mean, I, I think the diplomats understand, you know, and, and the diplomats understand exactly, you know, the terms that, that Dan and I put it in, that, you know, there's a solution to be had here, you know, but this is going to be, uh, at the end of the day, I think, a political call and at least, you know, and and I hope that there are discussions going on, fairly intense discussions between Washington and Berlin, and maybe there have been leaks and maybe, you know, Dan and I just haven't heard about it. So I'm, I'm hoping that's what's happening. I'm a little bit nervous though that the other side of the coin could be true, which is that there's nothing leaked because there's nothing going on. And again, I, I, I think it would be a mistake in Berlin for them to think, well, we can just kind of wait this out. And at the end of the day, you know, Biden, President Biden's not going to impose sanctions. And, I, and you know, it's interesting. I mean, I Washington here, Dan will have a much better feel from Washington, but Washington here in, in February, based on the language coming out of Washington, I thought we were heading down the road to sanctions on German companies. Uh, then three weeks ago, when President Biden gave his press conference and got the Nord Stream 2 question, the first thing he said was, it's a complicated issue. We have, you know, allies interested in stay care. And so, I, I you know, I, I'm not sure where the, the the president where he's going to come down. And I think certainly there's a hope here that he would come down against sanctioning um German and European companies. Uh, but I've and you're in Blinn, I'm not sure that's a bet you want to make just because of the intense congressional pressure that Stan has described.
0: There was also yeah. before you comment, there was also here, I mean, there was in the news for a little while that the Biden administration was gonna appoint an envoy to, to that would take on responsibility for this. I haven't heard where that's gone. That kind of puttered out. and so That's what I was about to say. Yeah.
3: So there was a press story or two that they were thinking of Amos Hochstein. Now, I don't know whether it's true, okay? But I do know Amos. And boy, would he be a good choice. Not that I would wish it on him. I mean, because this is a mess. But he knows the issue technically. He knows energy. He has been he was down on Nord Stream 2 before most people knew what it was. The Poles and Ukrainians know him and they respect him. So do the Europeans. He's the guy to help do this. Like I said, I'm not sure I would wish it on him because he's a friend. He's a good guy. But he's got both the technical smarts, the political savvy. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's worked with Biden for years. So he's got that, that personal connection. It's kind of perfect. And I'm really sorry to say that. Because if he gets into it, it's it's a fraught issue with lots of downside risks. But hell, you know, the Obama administration may the Guantanamo closure special envoy at state. So I know all about issues you'd rather not have to handle. And this is a better one than that.
0: So we're getting kind of close to the end of time, but I still have a couple more issues I'd love you to weigh in on. But I get where I am is just concern over the pressure that's on the Biden administration to get to sanctions and a lack maybe of options coming from Germany on what the negotiated settlement is. And I worry that we're just going to kind of you talked about it being mismanaged or us just kind of bumbling into a situation where we don't think that we want to be, and that certainly wouldn't be healthy or productive for the transatlantic relationship. So if I could ask, but put you both on the spot, and I guess if you were talking with Congress, what would you say, um, what would be the case that you would make uh, for why it would be a mistake to be in the business of sanctioning allies. I mean, Steve, you were touching at this a little bit, talking about all of the costs and the downside risks of sanctioning European companies and, and Germany in particular. You know, what would be the what what would what would you argue to Congress about why we do need to find a negotiated settlement rather than turning to sanctions?
2: Well, I, I, I think sanctions have a couple of risks. You know, risk number one is if we start sanctioning German and European companies. Uh, one of the obama administration i'm sorry the biden administration's goals which is to rebuild the transatlantic relationship and in particular restore relationship with germany it's going to be much much harder to do and uh, i think the germans are going to be important for a number of issues that we want to pursue within europe and that relationship took some big hits over the past 4 years and it's interesting i mean in conversations you know, the Trump years left a legacy here. There there are a lot of people here saying we are glad to see Joe Biden in the White House, but they also then in the same breath say, how do we know Trump's not going to come back? Uh, So to the extent that that relationship is important and we can use that relationship to advance American interests in Europe, I would argue sanctioning Germany is not a good idea. And then again, it gets to that kind of worst case I described is that if, if, uh, as Dan put it, if both the United States and Germany pursue their best cases. they're liable to end up in a fight that neither side wants. Uh, it could be then a broader fight between the US and the European Union. And it really could complicate uh, the president's agenda in terms of rebuilding the relationship with Europe and then making the Europeans uh, you know better allies on things like pushing it back against Russia. You know how do you deal with China? There's a whole bunch of questions where it would be good to have Germany and Europe on our side. And that's going to be much harder if we get into a sanctioned war with Europe over uh, Nord Stream 2. And then just uh, last, I mean, Dan's point was exactly right. You know, this should be a fight with Vladimir Putin. <laughs> you know, it should not be an intramural fight among America, uh, between America and its uh, and its uh, allies in Europe.
3: Okay, so everything Steve said, plus two. First, we're not asking Congress to re- to soften its position for nothing. There's got to be a counter package, so you so you've got you got a deal. Two, Ronald Reagan, okay, the Ronald Reagan precedent in 1982, Ronald Reagan was about to sanction Germany for a Soviet gas pipeline, and George Shultz told him it would be costly, with its allied Germany, and Reagan listened listened to Shultz, okay, and we. We lifted our uh, objections, and we didn't get nothing in return. The Germans agreed that they would coordinate economic policy toward the Soviet Union with us in a transatlantic way. Well, Reagan did it, and the the conditions under which we would ask the Congress to accept a deal would be for a deal a hell of a lot more specific and better than a hortatory commitment to consult. Okay, and guess who wrote a book as a young graduate student who did a thesis, later turned into a book on this very episode? Why one young Tony Blinken? That's who. And, you know, basically came out and said, Reagan was right. And Reagan was the guy to, to do it. I mean, who's well, attack him from the right? Yeah, go ahead. Try. And by the way, this was George Shultz's first move in what turned out to be this the best Soviet policy. <laughs> This country ever had. So, you know, Steve's arguments add these two as kind of an appendix. Would I go up and make that case to Congress? Yeah, I, I'd do it. Especially since I'm a known hawk on Putin. I mean, you know, I'm supposed to be the fire breather, right? What Tory Newland, you know, sort of became the, the bet noir for the Kremlin, but I was up there for a while too. I do it.
0: Final question, which kind of, you know, one of the downsides, as you've talked about, of doing this is less cohesion, less coordination, cooperation on big issues that we care about China, one, but also on Russia. And, you know, as you've both um, noted throughout, this really is an issue about Russia and its influence in Europe and and standing up to the Kremlin and and things that we aren't willing to tolerate. But just one kind of step back question, which is what, how optimistic or where are you guys feeling? um, How are you feeling about the prospect for more transatlantic cooperation on Russia? Um, You know, it has, you know, over, after four years, um, those muscles largely atrophied, there wasn't a lot going on in that domain Um, There's been some positive movements in Europe um, with the poisoning of Navalny, the troop buildup and the aggression on the border there. Do you think that that is helping to converge attitudes in Europe in ways that might make it easier for more transatlantic cohesion um, or not? I guess that's the question. How optimistic are you that the Biden administration can actually do more over the next four years with Europe um, as we look forward?
2: let me talk to Germany. Um, First of all, I I think the Biden administration, as seen here, has articulated really two tracks towards Russia. You know, one is pushing back against misbehavior, holding Russia to account for for things that cross red lines. But on the other hand, being prepared to talk or just coincide, arms control. I think there's a set of issues out there, Afghanistan, climate change, where cooperation makes sense. And we know how to do this. I mean, you know, Dan will recall back in the 80s, you know, we're, we're signing the INF Treaty, we're doing start one, we're beginning to actually get some real cooperation on some regional issues, human rights is looking a little bit better, and we're still pumping a lot of money into Afghanistan and weapons to drive the Soviet army out of there. You know, we can do both of these things, and the, the Russians understand this. And, and I think that, uh, but I think when the Germans look at it, they see those two parts, I, I, I think that they find that reassuring. The the question here is uh, when I my, my perception is analytically the Germans are getting closer to our own assessment of the Kremlin and its motives and its intentions. They would still use challenge where we would use threat, but I think their analytical assessment is, has moved, and it's 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 moved things like the Navalny poisoning, the treatment uh, you know of the European Union uh, foreign policy chief when he went to Moscow, things like that. Uh, what I think is be, is slower than, than I'd like to see is that their policy adjusting now to catch up with the analytical assessment. And I think that's one of the things that we have to work with where still, uh, I'd argue, business interests play a larger role. And that's not just, I mean, business interests for Germany with Russia are far more important than U.S. business interests with Russia. So they're going to have a place. Uh, but you know, I, I would argue that place is probably oversized. And 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 so it, it means that Germany is probably not pursuing the kind of policy that I think the analytical judgment is moving towards would advocate, um, and that's something that we can work on with them. But at least at least their assessment of where Moscow is it has evolved quite a bit, I believe.
0: Dan, where are you?
3: Optimistic. I, I think that's right, and I tend toward the optimistic because of everything Steve said, because the Biden administration framework for Russia policy gives room for Europeans like the Germans to sign on board. Even if pushing back against Putin's aggression is going to be the major pillar in the relationship, and I think it is, you need a pillar of dialogue and cooperation. You need it because it's one, the right policy, and two, because the Germans would insist if you want them on board, they have to see this. And Biden's put it there, and he's not put it there as a reset, which, you know, no way. He's put it there in the context of calling out Putin's misdeeds, which is what you also need to capture the Balts, the Swedes, the Poles, and frankly, the Europeans generally who have, you know, gotten, you know, figured out Putin. I think it's possible. I think Toria Newland and and Karen Dunfried are really able people to do it. I mean, my God, what a team. It's just kind of great, you know? Um, I think it's possible. And don't forget, in the European Commission and the EAS and the European Parliament, there are lots of Europeans who get it. I gave testimony this morning to the European Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee. (laughs) Committee on the prospects for European for, for the European Russia policy. And I said Europe and the US have to work together and we can. I mean, if you look at even the Mogherini just the 2016 European policy framework for Russia, it's got, it's, it's not everything, but it's a good foundation. You don't have to undercut it or reverse it. You just have to move it forward. And This is the kind of thing, you know, where there'd be an interagency team going out to like European capitals for a swing through and start talking about these things in the next level. You know, the the Polish experts and the Baltic experts on Russia are really, really, really good. They better be. National survival. I agree with Steve about German views and how much they've shifted. That's
0: what you need. We can do this. All right, I think we are at time. This was fantastic. I hope that we are not back again talking about this um, in the distant future, but that this is something that gets resolved um, through, as you've called it, kind of creative diplomacy. Um, with some sort of negotiated settlement. I hope that's where we come out. Um, But really appreciate you both taking the time to talk us through what has been really a thorny issue. And I know kind of in all of our transatlantic discussions, it's hard to get through one without this issue of Nord Stream coming up. And you guys have given really a lot of rich context and a lot of ideas for how how to move forward. So thank you to both for joining us.